be your words that would speak to our heart to bring us back to the simplicity of the cross. God, you're so good to me. Amen. Amen. We'll take a seat. You know, as adults, I reckon sometimes we complicate things. We complicate life. We fill life. We make it busy. We try and get as much done as we can. And we miss the important things. And most definitely sometimes miss the simple things. But it's only when you, when you come to a place of watching little kids play that you recognize just how simple life really could be. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't want to get on the, on the floor in the mud and, and play with cars anymore. No, no. Big cars, not little cars, but, but you know, the simplicity of, of, of games kids play. And they play families, or they play shop, or they play nurses, or they play you know, truck drivers, or they, they're emergency workers. The simplicity of their play, I think, uh, could give us some guidance. And today, I think it's just good for us to come back to basics. And so uh, this is uh, a new, what a topic. It's a series we're going to run called The Fundamentals of Faith. And uh, there's some pretty simple things we might go back to. We're going to open up a conversation and we're going to look at some of the essential aspects of our Christian faith. Uh, We're going to uh, look at the Bible and how we should relate to the Bible. Um, We're going to um, look at God who is one but three. So sometimes when I say fundamentals, I might not necessarily mean simple, but fundamental, that God is one and yet three persons. We're going to see the promise that God made for all mankind from the beginning of time as we know it, and that promise is a person who brings us hope, and his name is Jesus. We're going to look at some big, big items, small words, but big items, you know, things like love, truth, grace. And so today, uh, that's the topic that I want to land on. I want to land on this topic of grace, the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and The passage of Scripture that I want to read from today is found in the book of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bible, you can swipe your screen or turn your page um, to that. And uh, to you at home, welcome. It's great to have you with us. And the slides will be coming up on the screen. All things going to plan. I'm looking at the tech guys and they're nodding. Oh, look at that. Reassuring me. That's awesome. So welcome at home. We pray that you experience the Word of God in the same way we do this morning. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm reading from verse 3. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made abound toward us in all wisdom 
and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. In him also we have an obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. May the word of God guide us today as we look at this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture basically outlines our Christian faith in one sentence. Would you believe that passage that I just read you with lots of breaths and commas and and some, some long sentences. It's actually known in the Greek. It's one sentence. Paul writes an expository of the Christian faith in one sentence, and it's all in this passage. So when we say come back to fundamentals, Paul's got it in one sentence, but probably not one breath by the length of that. But look, it's in there. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit in that passage. God is eternal outside time and yet intimate in each of our lives. It's right there in that passage. The power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is in here. The infilling of believers with the power of the Holy Spirit, in here. And our connection with God for eternity, also in here. Like, not to dumb it down too much, but let's go back to fundamentals. The fundamentals of our faith, the doctrine of our faith is found here and it's the doctrine of grace. And then in the middle, there's this little phrase. And this phrase, to be honest with you, when I knew that I wanted to speak on grace, this phrase instantly came to mind. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Which you can see here, it's in the beginning of verse 6. So on the screen, it's just verses 6 and 7. But this phrase came to me over and over and over again weeks ago. As we were, as I was um, messing around with the calendar, working out what to do, and speaking with a few others, and when I thought about grace, I thought, well, to the praise of the glory of His grace, and that's what led me to this passage. The, the NIV says it this way: to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. And I want to propose to you: this is how simple our faith could be. Nut it down. Real simply, to the praise of His grace, which He makes available to us. As I've reflected on this, I think about how we are, we are compelled by the teaching of Jesus to, and Paul and the apostles to become mature. But sometimes I think in, in trying to become mature in our faith, we come away from the simplicity or the fundamentals and we make it complicated. You know, we start debating the sanctification that comes through the necessary suffering that we must go through as disciples of Jesus. We press into that privilege of being in the royal priesthood. We hold on in faith for the possession of the promise, and we start to complicate things. We get high and mighty as we 
discuss the doctrine of predestination also in this passage. And then we argue over denominationalism. Funnily enough, the root word of the word denomination is found in the Greek word that means division. And the church argues about how they're divided. We complicate things. So today, let's come back to the simplicity of Ephesians chapter 1, the doctrine of our faith, which is grace. Grace. His grace. All we have in Him. Look, verse 7. It's on the screen. In Him, we have the redemption through His Christ, His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to what? The riches of His grace. His grace. May that be on your lips today. His grace. His grace. May that be on your lips. The title of today's message, for those that like to take notes, is quite simply the grace of God. Let us not miss the source of this grace. And I just feel compelled again to pray again as we dig into this. Almighty God, we humble ourselves before you. Uh, Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us to put aside a preconditioning or preconcepts or preference. God, I ask for each one of us, whether we're young in our faith or old in our faith, whether we're immature or mature, whether we're on a journey or standing still, God, that you would bring something fresh to us today. May you open the eyes of our heart with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would come before you and understand the truth, the power, the fundamental nature of your grace that is found in Christ. Speak to us today, I pray. Amen. So in in searching uh, and studying this over the last few weeks, I, I looked for a definition. You can see it on the screen there. And this, this kind of became the favorite one I found. And, and so I just wanted to put it out there because it, it sort of expounds the whole, whole aspect of grace, which is shown to us in the Bible through so many different ways that God interacts with people. We see His grace. But look at the definition. It says, The merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. This is the work of God in our lives. This is the work of God in our world, in fact. Not just in our lives, but this is the work that God, I'm going to propose to you, that God has done for all the world. And I mean, we could spend all day unpacking this definition. But the merciful kindness by which God, God, God is the initiator of our salvation. God is the one. You know, people say, well, I found God. Mm, God wasn't lost. God is always the one who pursues. God is the one that draws men to himself, and suddenly they're awakened, but God initiates that because of his grace. God turns them to Christ He's strengthening them. He's the one that connects. This is the grace. This is grace. It's like glue. It glues us. It connects us with God and helps us to retain our our relationship with Him. It's grace that overcomes our weakness. It's grace that, that binds us to Him. It's grace that strengthens us in Him. No wonder we should be praying, God, give us a more evidence of your grace. We can't make His grace bigger, but we can certainly experience more of it and see more evidence of it. See how it says here, increases them in Christian faith, 
in the second to last line, if only we would ask him, Lord, increase our faith by your grace, increase our faith. Lord, come and increase us in knowledge of who you are. I always say it's great to read the Bible for knowledge, but it's better to read the Bible for relationship. And I'm not downplaying knowledge, but let's be a knowledge of God that comes through personal connection, not third hand or second hand or, well, I heard so-and-so that had an experience, so that must define it. No, 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 let's go after that with our relationship with God. And then this last one, kindles them to the exercise of their Christian virtues. You can kind of tell which uh, century this definition was written. Kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. Well, this is us demonstrating faith in action. The way we live our lives is evidence of what God has done for us. Well, it should be. We're going to see this in the passage of Scripture. That's why I'm really excited. The kids are doing the fruit of the Spirit this school term. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of God in our lives, but evidence to others. So today they're talking about self-control and patience, which you should appreciate if you're parents of ones out there. But teachers should also appreciate that, because what do we want our kids to be the light in our community, in our classroom, in their playgrounds, and with their friends? That we would exercise Christian virtues, and it's all about grace. God's grace in our lives. For those of you that like study, you could um, take a photo of that slide because if we were just going to stop here and do the sermon on that, that not being the text, but we could find scriptures, verses that would evidence every single one of those lines. Every one of those aspects of the definition of grace can be affirmed and confirmed by scripture. That's not what I'm going to do today, but you might like to. And if you do so, that would be great. We always make our slides available um, in the app. So if you've got the Church Zion app, when we upload the audio, um, you can also get the slides there as well. So that's just a little bit of a plug for what we're trying to do to help. But our purpose today is to look not so much at the definition, but at the text. So let's come back to Scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1. My first point today, you can see it on the screen, grace is the key by which we access life as God meant it to be. This is, this is found in the passage. So let's look at this. Again, let's go back to verse 3 and to verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And a couple of observations I want to make about these two verses, because I wrestled with them this week. And I got myself a little bit tripped up, because I'm reading this passage in my Western mindset, in my modern day thinking, with my phone in my hand, and I'm thinking about time as linear. Yesterday came before today, and tomorrow comes after that. That's called linear time. But how many of you know God is outside time? So we try and process and comprehend the grace of God, thinking, well, first there was nothing, and then God was there, and then he came up with a good idea, and so he created the world, and we don't know how long that took, but dinosaurs were possibly part of it. Let's not debate it, but we don't know. We weren't there. And we think in linear terms. You know, was it, was it 6,000 years ago or was it a billion years ago? 
And, and is that by your measure or God's? And, and, and like, that's way above your pay grade. It's definitely way above mine. And, and so listen, just listen to, listen to these statements and, and, and think about how we would normally process God's truth with linear time or the calendar on our phone that determines where we're supposed to be and what tomorrow's date is. And this is the way I wrote the first bullet point in my notes. Listen to this. God desired to create us and to love us. And then I had to correct myself because I wrote it in the past tense. But if God's outside time, there's no past tense. I mean, it's hard for us to get our head around. My brain was hurting. And I'm sure yours might be too. To get outside time and consider how God loves us, not loved us. God created all things in Him, in Christ, is present tense. Not past tense. So I had to change my thinking. I had to change the words in my notes. God desires to create us, to love us. God desires that we would live in his likeness. This means we are like him in nature. God knows we are likely to fail in relationship with him, and yet he loves us anyway. Not past tense, not future tense, current reality. Listen to this one. Jesus chose to sacrifice his reputation and died a criminal's death so we could be blessed by God forever. Put that on your calendar and mark it if God's outside time. Because the Bible says Jesus died before time. When God dreamed of you, all he could see was the purity and perfection of Jesus before time. This is how big grace is, and it's hurting me to think about it. Listen to this one I wrote, the last one. God holds you up to the world to show how loving and holy he is. Present tense. That's God's plan. And, and so to comprehend grace in the context of the scripture by thinking about linear time is incorrect. And yet that's our yardstick sometimes for measuring and assessing what is true and what is not as true of God. Is our ruler, not his ruler. And so I just ask you to let go of the ruler as we unpack these scriptures, and, and may God speak to you about these scriptures. I'm going to share what I found, but you're going to find something as well. What else is this um, um, scripture saying to us here? You know, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That just messed with me for a long time. I'm going to come back to that. That we should be holy and blameless with him in love. Let me make it quite clear to you that the purpose of your connection with God will call it salvation your relationship with him, the outcome of grace is not privilege. Privilege is a byproduct. You have been adopted as sons and daughters into a royal priesthood. You are royalty in God's kingdom. That's your privilege. You have received an inheritance. That's your privilege. But the purpose of grace is not your privilege. It's in the text at the end of verse 4. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The purpose of grace is your holiness and your purity. The point of God's grace is that we would be able to live with God. God is holy, therefore we must be holy. The only way we can be made holy is by his grace in order that we would dwell with him. Privilege is just a byproduct. It's what you get when you're part of the family.
And I want to come back to this point that I skipped over in verse 4, just as he chose us in him. This is, in my view, the most important point in this verse. This is the whole way that we access the life as God meant it to be. Grace is the key that we'd access that life. It's found here in, in this verse, and I've wrestled with it, and I've wrestled with it. And even yesterday, I was wrestling with it. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us in Jesus. Come on, say that with me. God chose me in Jesus. God chose me in Jesus. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Every one of us. And not just us. God's grace is what has wrapped us up in his love not because of what we can do or what we can't do, what we did do or what we, wouldn't, we didn't do, but because it's in his nature to embrace us in him. You are in Jesus. And this happened before the beginning of time. You might think it was limited to your choice, your decision, and you reciting a specific prayer on a specific day when you got a card. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you were embraced from the beginning of time. Now, many of us, at times in our life, have run away from that. That's called sin, it's called personal choice, and we ran away. We began in Jesus, which means we've got to return to Jesus. We're returning to something that we gave up. That's my point. The grace was already there. The provision was already there. The love was already there. Salvation was already there. I'm not preaching universalism. I'm preaching repentance by Jesus. We're found in Jesus. Jesus is God the Father's plan for restoring all things to himself. Look at verse 10, like just to jump down a bit. In the dispensation of the fullness of times, that means when God decides, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. God is gathering. His grace is far bigger than we can think. But Jesus is God's grace personified. And I, I wasn't, like, I haven't had got the privilege to have an insight into the, the family meeting that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had before time. When Jesus said, yeah, it's me, I'll do it. I'll become one of them, that they can become like us. Jesus is God's grace personified. It's the name of Jesus, and it's when we're in him that we're restored to all those things that God made available for us before time. It's in Jesus and only in Jesus. Jesus himself proclaimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father except through him. Jesus is the one that enabled all these things. And oh, look, even just yesterday, I, I'm, I'm wrestling with this, and I'm like, not sure how it's going to go, and, and I know the only way to get that sorted out is to go into my quiet space and put my headphones on, have a time of worship, and just ask the Holy Spirit to connect me back to what the Father has prepared for us. And as I'm in my office, I'm having this, um, I'm having a messed up moment as the, the, the band in my, in my headphones are just singing the name of Jesus. That's all they're doing. And I, like, if I could recreate that now, 
just to give you a glimpse of what I experienced, then I would, but I, I can't. Because if I, even if I played it for you, you'd be going, oh, what are you on? But, you know, like, here's what I think we could do, is we could just take a time out for a minute, max, and just close our eyes, and let's just say the name Jesus and see what happens. Not just once, but let's make it a prayer. Because without Jesus and without the grace of Jesus that binds you and wraps you up in the love of the Father, there's nothing. All things are pointless without the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, just, just get in that space. I don't know what God wants to do in you, but I think if you come and you confess the name of Jesus Christ as a prayer, and that's all, you don't have to ask for things, you don't have to explain things, you don't have to forgive things, you just have to confess the name of Jesus Christ. It's the name above all names. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray Jesus as a prayer. Jesus, come. Jesus revealed. Jesus, our life. Jesus, our hope. Jesus, change us to see you. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In you, we find all things. Wrap us in your grace and love. Jesus, may your grace be all sufficient in all circumstances for us. Jesus, we worship you today. We thank you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Grace personified. There's power, church, in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And may that name be on your lips today, tomorrow, and forevermore. May the name of Jesus Christ sustain you. May the name of Jesus Christ lift you. If I move on, um, the second point on the screen there is one I've already mentioned, but the, the, the grace of God demonstrates the nature of God. The nature of God is demonstrated in His grace. And, and it's beyond comprehension, I'm not going to try and explain it, but there's just three phrases that are in this passage, in this one sentence, that simply for me, <laughs> bring it back to how good God is, how good God is. Look, verse 7, in Him with redemption, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. What about verse 9, He's made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure. And what about verse 11? We've obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. God's relating to us in love, God's connection with us, his embrace with us, is not based on his foreknowledge of your behavior, your performance to a standard, 
or even what you think about life. But it's all hinged on his gracious character, his nature. He can't be anything but gracious. For him to be otherwise would be a contradiction, and God doesn't contradict himself. God is love. He can't do anything that would be contrary to love, because then he would be contradicting his character. I don't profess to have a full comprehension of this, but I know through years and years and years of spending time in the presence of God and worshiping him, not because I know fully who he is and understand him, but because he deserves it, and I know that my place before him is one on my knees in adoration and love before him for, for the years and years that I've done that. I can honestly tell you that I have a conviction and a revelation of God's goodness and his nature that is far beyond knowledge that I could obtain. My intellect can't handle what my spirit knows is true. And that comes through times of devotion. And so my only encouragement for you to get to know the grace of God that's revealing the nature of God is to spend time with him. Hang out with him on the bus. Hang out with him when you mow the lawns. Hang out with him when you're doing uh, the chores or with your kids or with you at work or at sleep. Hang out with him and get to know his nature because when you get to know his nature, it's the relationship that gets you to see the revelation of God. The third and final point on the screen here is grace is what unlocks the mystery of God's will. And, and, and let, let us not define God and his will in context of our timelines or our expectations. But I want to make it real simple, and I want Scripture to prove and confirm Scripture. If you have a look in verse 11, you'll see that we've obtained an inheritance. So what is that inheritance? Well, it's in verse 13. Because verse 12, he's talking about himself and the original apostles who first believed in Christ. So he's like, look, we got, a, we got an inheritance which was predestined according to God's purpose. Now, we first got it because we saw Jesus and we believed in Jesus and we testified to Jesus. But then verse 13 says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. So let, let, me, let, me, let me say how I wrote it in my notes. You're in Christ when you trusted Christ because you heard the proclamation of truth. So you heard the proclamation of truth. You believed it to be true, which means you're in Christ. That's the good news of your salvation. And when you believed, you came into Christ. It says we're in him. I went through this and I highlighted how many times it says in him or in Christ. It's all through this sentence. That's the whole point, Paul's saying, of the doctrine of our faith is grace, that we're in Christ, but you're only in Christ when you believe in Christ, and having believed, it says in verse 13, you receive the Spirit of Christ. That's your inheritance. That's the promise. I mean, make no bones about it. The only way we can ever help people to find this inheritance is through the door that is Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father except through him, the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. But the way that's going to happen, which is the mystery of God's will, it's confusing, but I'm afraid, friends, it's God's grace in action through you. This is the mystery that we need to try and get our hands on. 
God's grace in action means that you're restored to God in love. We got that clear. That's the message of the good news that we believed. But then the mystery is the inheritance. And and if you look at verse 9, it says, Having made known to us the mystery. That phrase there caught my attention. Having made known to us the mystery. And I'm like, actually, Paul wrote this already somewhere else to a different church. But it's the same thing. And it's just across the page, and I've got the reference on the screen for you, for those that are taking notes. It's just in the first chapter of Colossians. So you turn over three pages, in my Bible at least, and you find in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul's writing to the church and he's talking about you know, his life and suffering and you guys and what's lacking, but don't worry. And then he says this to you, which is the saints, to them, it says, the saints, God willed wanted to, make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Colossians, the people that weren't Jews, to all of us, wanted to make known the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you now. So we believe the truth and we're in Christ. That gives us access to the inheritance, which is actually Christ in us. The Spirit of Christ in you is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you receive when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the Spirit of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of promise, as it says there, back in Ephesians chapter 1. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This only happens when you're found in Christ. This is the inheritance. This is the mystery of God's will that he wouldn't remain absent from us after Jesus was resurrected, but he would remain in us that we would be in Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Well, what is hope? What's hope for you? I mean, the good news is you have hope because Christ is in you. Not the point. That would be very selfish. Which part of God's nature is selfish? None. So which part of... Our nature should be selfish. Good. So therefore, the hope is not for us. The hope is for others. It's a demonstration of hope. Christ in us is a demonstration of hope to others, but what kind of hope and for what purpose? It's in the verse, Colossians 1, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is glory? It's the life that Christ purchased for us that is far beyond what we see in this world. Jesus, when he prayed the high priestly prayers, Father, you've given me a bit of that glory now. You know, like he's talking about the nature of heaven, God's world here through us. One of the theologians I was reading this week says it this way. He says, this meaning that the whole truth, so full of glory and so rich and elevated in its effect, meaning in us, is summed up in this. Christ revealed among you as the source of hope and glory in a better world. That's the whole point of grace. You believe and you come in. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the spirit of Christ rises up in you to release the hope that can be found for others in a life far beyond this. Friends, we are the demonstration of grace. It's God's gift to us, and yet he flips it, and he's like, no, guys, it's you, it's you. And I'm left wondering how. Because <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm going, mm, God, I think you backed the wrong horse. 
Notice I call myself the horse, not you. So hold back your, your thoughts. God, God says, you, and I'm like, no. And he goes, yes. I'm like, surely not. He goes, yes, it's called grace. And I'm like, what? And this is what I wrestle with this week. I'm calling it paradoxical faith. This is me, my confession on the screen. This is who I am in my natural state, and yet God's saying, no, I see you in your redeemed state. But this is me. I'm a sinner who's loved and accepted by God. I'm called and appointed, and yet I remain unqualified. My salvation is complete, and yet I'm responsible. Remember? I'm one decision away from stupid every day. And I remind myself of that. doesn't change what Jesus did, but it changes how I experience it. Yeah. Doug's saying, you know, we can live today and regret it tomorrow. I believe by faith, but I still must persevere. I mean, Abraham received the promise of Isaac long before Sarah conceived. And then I have this relationship with a sovereign God who is Lord of all by confession of my mouth, and yet he gives me free will paradoxical, the contrast between who I am in my natural state and yet who God says I am in my redeemed state. What about you? I don't know. Judge for yourself. Look in the mirror when you get home. But friends, you, we are the evidence of grace. We're the evidence of grace. We are the evidence of grace. We must become the evidence of grace to the world. And here God says, yes, you, even though you're not perfect. I remind you of the words in verses 6 and 7. Put them on the screen. He made us accepted in Christ. He did. God did that. He called you to himself. He made the way. And he embraced you and wrapped you up in his grace. In him, in Christ, we have the redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins according to the richness of the grace of God. Fundamental to our life in Christ is his grace. I'm a sinner who is loved and accepted by God. This is the evidence of grace. Christ in me, the hope of someone else having the same glory. This is God's message of grace to the world. I am God's message of grace to the world. Look, I remain unqualified for the calling God has put on my life, and yet I'm promoted into kingdom purpose. It doesn't make sense. It's the evidence of grace. It's the evidence of grace. And as I was wrestling with this, I heard Cyril singing in my ears. I don't know how many of you remember him singing this. Grace on top of grace. Should have invited the dude back to sing it for us. In his beautiful voice, he would lead us and say, come on, grace on top of grace. Why? Because God's grace is limitless. My weakness prevails. 
time and time and time again. And yet Christ says, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, my grace and my strength is made perfect, says Jesus. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 12. It's highlighted in red. Grace on top of grace. We never stop needing God's grace. Doesn't matter how many times you've been around the sun. You never, ever stop needing God's grace. And it's kind of where I wanted to draw us to this week because I'm not quite sure where you are. But I wanted to just expound the simplicity of God's grace and point to the fundamentals of our faith and say, where does this message find you? Because we all live. Some of us would tick this list. It's not a test. You don't have to get 10 out of 10, but a weakness or sin I can't overcome. A pressure of circumstance that overwhelmed me. Tragedy or loss that I can't explain. Personal pain at the hands of others. Confusion, lack of direction. I'm not sure if any of those apply to you. I'm not, I'm not looking into your inbox to read your mail. I'm just wondering, where does this message find you in your journey? Your answer is found wrapped up in the grace of God that we find in Jesus Christ. Some of us, it means coming back to the foot of the cross, coming back to Christ and being embraced again by his love. When we're in Christ, we find that all-sufficient love and grace that binds us to God, not that we would be perfect, but that we would be redeemed. I was encouraged as I wrestled with this this week. I was reminded of a, uh, a translation or a paraphrase of a passage of Scripture. Jesus himself said this, and Eugene Peterson has translated or paraphrased it. It's in Matthew, 20, Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you worn out? You're burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly, Jesus says. In him, we can find our rest. In him, we can find that hope again. Regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what we bang our head against week after week, Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So this morning, I'm just going to land this softly and give you a chance in your own quiet space while I play a song for you. I'm giving you a chance to allow the grace of God to wash over you. To allow the grace of God to remind you again and again how much you're loved by God. Not because of what you did, but because of what who he is. He loved you before the beginning of time. And in your own way, I'm just inviting you to respond to Jesus. Uh, if at any time, please let me say this again and again, any time you would like someone to pray with you, then uh, me or one of the, or the leaders of the church or the team would be happy to pray with you, to spend time with you, to stand with you, to agree in faith that God is working in your life. Whether you do that in your seat or whether you do it up here, 
It's up to you, but let us all come back this morning to the grace of God. Reveal your grace to us again this morning as we turn. We turn to you. Jesus, we see you glorified, resurrected, Lord of all, King of kings. Embrace us in that grace. Embrace us in your love. Sustain us, strengthen us, keep us. Lead us in knowledge of who you are in relationship with you. Strengthen us to live with those virtues that are the fruit of a spirit of God in us. But we need you. Without your grace, we just can't do this. So we turn to you today, asking the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ come over us. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it be a light to us. May it lead us. May it bring life to us. As we go, may we go with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We go in Christ, wrapped in the love of the Father. May we walk as a demonstration of, evidence of, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of glory for others. We thank you for all that you're doing and leading us into glory. Amen.